This episode has been sponsored by MapHook. Welcome to The Gray Area, where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 30th episode in a weekly series called Lazy Song. Last week's episode was a discussion with Anne and Siegfried Trent from DDOcast. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, August 15th. And today I ramble on playing catch up on new games, news, and random listener questions. Before we get started, let's do news of the week. News of the week. Age of Empires Online begins tomorrow and is a new MMO in the Game of Empires world. Greeks versus Egyptians are the two cultures you can play, uh, where you can player versus player or co-op with your friends. There are crafting options, building choices, and unit choices, as well as pretty typical stuff for the franchise uh, that you're used to playing with the other Age of Empires, but now you can play with your friends. It has an excellent rating and is well-liked so far. Bastion also releases tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward to playing that one. It's the first release from Supergiant Games, whom I've tried to have on the show to tell you about it before, but they are not doing interviews right now, so hopefully later on they can come on and tell us more about the game. The premise is that it's an RP where your character is set in the world Salondria after it has been destroyed by an event known as the Calamity. The game revolves around a silent protagonist who is referred to as the Kid. The focus of the game story is this kid's quest to create a safe place, what he would call the Bastion. The rest of the worlds become floating islands after the Calamity, and uh, you have to move through these islands. It has a mysterious narrator, which chronicles your every move. It's kind of like being stalked by Isaac Hayes, actually. Yeah, baby. (laughs) You build the path in front of you, and the gameplay is 3D and very lush. So check it out. It's a really interesting game. Uh, I like the kid aspect of the the main player, obviously known as the kid, but I like the way his uh, he's created graphically, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, it reminds me a little bit of some of the posters you've seen before in Bioshock. He so, sort of has a very 1920s feel about him to me. Deus Ex Human Revolution is being released the 23rd. It is an RP and a shooter combined, and you are an anti-terrorist agent. So if you like that idea, check it out. PopCap Games was recently purchased by EA Games, which I think we all know. It will be a major shift in the gaming company world, and I will discuss this with some upcoming guests from PopCap, I hope, shortly. That's pretty much the news of the week. Let's move on to the more rambling part. I'd like to talk about a game I've been playing uh, recently, or very interested in. It's called Catherine. It's developed by Atlas Gaming Company. It's kind of hard to describe. It's like a puzzle action adventure, sort of little horror. It's anime style. And the main character's name is Vincent. I would describe him as a 20-something nerd who's grinding through his cubicle-ridden life and kind of barely making it. Uh, He spends most of his nights 
in his studio-sized apartment or the bar that he frequents often called the Stray Sheep with his guy friends and his girlfriend Catherine with a K. Catherine's very beautiful. She looks like your kind of typical anime girl with long sort of pink-tinged hair, glasses, sort of studious looking. Uh, she is has been dating him for five years and is beginning to make noises that she'd like to take the relationship to a different level. She wants to get engaged. She wants to get married. And she's starting to sort of subtly pressure him in this direction. Uh, you can play a mini game called Rapunzel in the bar to practice for the big puzzles that occur at night, and you can mess with the jukebox there. Vincent, at this point, having heard from Catherine that she wants to to pretty much cement their relationship solidly, uh, is beginning to panic, and he runs into Catherine with a C, and there's more than just a C in her name. She's also a C cup as well, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, blonde, really beautiful. She's kind of another style of girl you often see in the anime with the really tiny waist and sort of the <laughs> thing about her. She's got like bouncy curls and really big eyes. Um, she's all over him and they end up in bed together. At this point, you have conversation options. Every time you interact with those, that can swing you toward Catherine with a K or Catherine with a C. And uh, once you've cheated on your girlfriend, you begin to be plagued by nightmares every time you go to sleep. People are hearing of mysterious mysterious deaths occurring at night, and Vincent begins to get increasingly mentally disturbed when he goes to sleep. And this is where the the puzzle bits come into it. It kind of reminds me of a very sophisticated cubert. You're trying to reach the top of this pyramid of moving blocks, and you can push them and pull them, move them into different areas that allow you to, to make steps so that you can get up to the next level. It's not easy, and it requires a lot of strategy and probably many deaths. You can see a lot of other men represented as sheep as you make your way to the top to survive. Incidentally, being drunk actually helps with this. Um, the character, not you. <laughs> you have to choose your alignment during the game, and there are a possibility of eight different endings based on this alignment. It's a very relationship-driven game, a very cool style, and if you like anime, then this will definitely appeal to you. It's very adult in many ways, so not for the little ones, of course. Uh, it's been on sale for a week, and you should check it out. As I've progressed in my interviewing, I find I've gone longer and phased out the listener question portion, which I feel bad about. I feel like I should have this episode where I can take the time to answer some questions before next week where I continue my DDO focus. I will have Lessa and Samus from the DDO Cocktail Hour on for interview, and it will be probably rated R, an event which I will put a disclaimer at the beginning, which I occasionally do. Uh, it should be a fun time. What will happen when all the hosts are drinking? Tune in and hear next week. Let's get ready for questions! So on to the listener questions in my lazy podcast. Monica writes, I would like to play my old PlayStation GameCube games, but I no longer have a console. What should I do? Well, Monica, there are a lot of emulators out there, but a good one that I like is called Dolphin. You will need DirectX as well, and it's a little bit of a complicated setup, but they have a good tutorial video there, and they kind of walk you through every step. And the games play really well. It's a lot of memory-intensive stuff, but uh, if you do a search for Dolphin Emulator, you can find that, and they update very frequently. It's an open-source thing, so it's always being improved, and you can check that out. And now I'd like to introduce Josh, my resident expert in all things geeky, who will tell us more about emulators and how they work. 
More or less what an emulator is, it basically emulates the original PlayStation 2 hardware. To, like, it, it emulates it all in software, like software libraries. And they basically say, okay, this, this is the original hardware. We want to basically emulate this, how this way this acts. Like, the, like in the PlayStation, you have the Emotion Engine, which is basically a MIPS a CPU that runs about 200 and something megahertz, I believe. And you have the graphics synthesizer, which is basically the graphics card, and all these other you know, processors that do specific functions and what they I'm talking about the PlayStation in this case, and what it does is basically it emulates it all in software. And then you have to basically translate the original instructions for the, uh, for the game because the game is, ba it's not, the game is, is uh, like it's when they're compiled. They're not, they're not compiled in, uh, for what a PC uses. Because a PC uses like, uh, I'll put it another way, non technical. They, they use an entirely different instruction set. Uh, and they and they don't understand what they're talking about. See, the emulator basically goes and they translate what what would happen on the PlayStation Two to what you know translate to, uh, to something that a PC can understand, and then the PC will go ahead and process that information, something that you know it can understand and read it, and then you know do like the sound and the graphics and the movement and stuff like that. You know, the interface. So I guess you you could consider an emulator more or less an interface to a certain extent, but there's a lot more behind it than just like like an interface to a like an app. You know, there's a lot more to it. Okay. okay. So your PC is pretending to speak 1990. Yeah, it's it's look at it this way. It's pretending to speak another language. Okay. Kind of like. <laughs> All good. Okay. So you put your PlayStation disc in, and then there's kind of a tutorial saying that you have to open DirectX, and I guess that's how you read your PlayStation disc, and then you what does Dolphin do exactly? Well, Dolphin, Dolphin basically does the exact same thing. I mean, I, I haven't used it because it, I, I could download it, but I, I haven't used it because I don't have a way to read the discs. Now, I guess if I, if I guess if I could, I probably could go out and go torrent. Maybe one of the go spend a whole day torrenting, like uh, maybe one of the games and try it out. I mean, like go try get Resident Evil Four or something like that and try it out and see how it plays. But because you don't have any PlayStation games, is that what you're saying? Is that why you no, the torrent? No, no, I have the GameCube games. I have I have all the original boxes. Like I, I own a GameCube. I mean, but the the problem is, I think my problem with my GameCube is that it's overheating, and I, I have to open it up and clean it out. But I mean, I I own the games. I have the box. I mean, I could show it to you right now, but I just have no way to rip the the stuff on my PC because I don't have a Wii. Now, if I had a Wii, I'd probably look into mod modding it to where I could get it to rip the discs to my computer and that way I I I then I just play with my on my computer because they said that you know they've gotten the the emulation so good with Dolphin with most games that you know it's, it performs better than it does on the GameCube or the Wii. I did see uh, you playing was it Resident Evil in showing me that yeah. it, it didn't move yeah. very quickly it was a good play I thought. I mean it's not it's not 100% uh like with the PlayStation 2 it's not like 100% accurate but it's pretty damn it's pretty damn good in my opinion. I mean, there's, there's there's slight bugs here, and there's only been one game that I haven't been able to really play uh, because of a bug. And that's Max Max Pain, but um, like I played Final Fantasy X, uh, Resident Evil uh, Outbreak, uh, uh, Resident Evil Code Veronica X, and and I have other games too that I haven't really tried, but I'm sure they'll work fine. So. But you were saying uh, they're all GameCube. If I have PlayStation games, which I do. And I mm -hmm. want to use Dolphin. I can just stick that directly into my DVD player, and I can. How do I get like a disc image from that? Well, no, no, no. Those games I was talking about. Those are PlayStation Two. Those are PlayStation. Oh, 2 PlayStation games. Two games. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, what you just do is. Okay, so basically, you're asking how to do a disc image. 
Well, I'm just saying if I have a PlayStation game, I don't understand where Dolphin comes in. I understand DirectX, but I don't understand what Dolphin does. Dolphin, Dolphin's for GameCube. Now, if you're looking for PlayStation Two games, you got to look for PCSX Two. That that that's the that's the emulator for PlayStation games. Dolphin's oh, I thought Dolphin was for both. No, no, Dolphin's just strictly for GameCube and Wii games. It's just for that. It's not. No, if you want to do like PlayStation, like there, if you want to do play, original PlayStation, there's EPSXE. Yeah, it's EP, it's EPSX or EPSXE or something like that. That that's for the original. If you want to do PlayStation Two, then it's PC. Yeah, all the acronyms and the names. It's PCSX Two. That, that's for <laughs> okay. PlayStation. 2. Okay. And I'm sure they, I'm sure they found a way to make Xbox games run on the like the regular Xbox games run on PC, seeing how they're the Xbox basically is damn near a PC. I mean, more or less. So why doesn't uh... PlayStation, PlayStation 2, GameCube, why don't they allow, like, make a released version for the PC? Because they're just too old and they don't feel like that? Because Atari re-releases all of their old classic games on a PC format. I mean, is this something, I guess, that's illegal is what I'm asking you? I think a lot of it has to do with more or less, like, with copyright issues and they, and probably they just don't see what's really the point of reporting this thing to the PC and, uh, me personally, I think more or less, it's more like it's probably between laziness and copyright issues. The uh, the problem is, is that like they really don't want you re-ripping the games because you know they think, oh, well, you're violating the DCMA Act. You can't do that. And well, me personally, I see this. Well, I own the hardware. As long as I'm not going out and selling it on the street, the copies of the street to somebody, you know, you can't really tell me what I can and can't do with it. I mean, but the thing is, they have this notion of well, well, well the thing is, you know, we. You know, we still have the right to tell you what you can and can't do with your games and your hardware, which to me is completely, you know, stupid. I mean, like I said, unless I'm going out and like selling trade secrets, their trade secrets, or you know, selling the you know copies of the game that I burnt on disc, which you can't really—that's really hard to do on a game with the GameCube, the GameCube games. But uh, that's more or less how I see it. Um, there probably could be other legal issues too, you know, where they just don't think, well, what's really the purpose of? Um, you know, going back and reporting this, is there any profit in it? Make any money? You know, could be a it could be a number of things, but that's probably copyright would probably be my okay my primary guess. So, is it really illegal to do this if you own the game and you want to play it on your PC? Is it illegal no, to rip I, I, it? I consider it illegal, no, because as long as you, I mean, the only way I could really consider it illegal is like if you went out, like if you downloaded. Let's say, if, like, say, if you went torrent to well, torrents are always illegal. That's kind of the premise, right? <laughs> no, t- torrents aren't torrents aren't illegal. It's just that the thing it's depending on what I mean. But torrent is a legal protocol. I mean, you you could you could use it to do anything. You you can go torrent legal documents right now. Or you can torrent anything. It's just what exactly in the torrent that you're downloading uh, is the legal question. I mean, now if you're down, let's say if like if I go torrent Resident Evil Outbreak right now and I go put it out. Now, let's say I go, I go put it out on Demonoid and out to the world. Yeah, I, that's considered legal because I'm ripping my own copy and then I'm basically giving it to other people to to use without paying for it, which I could see some premise behind it, although I think the laws do need to be revised a little bit because they, I think they're a little bit outdated. Uh, but it, the, the emulator itself in BitTorrent is, is not, is, is they're, they're finally legal. It's just the getting the game, uh, not like I said, if you own the actual game, it's it's fine. I mean, like, like I, if, I, if I could find a way to rip my, my own GameCube disc because I own the disc, you know, they can't really tell you one way or the other. I mean, that, that there's, like, exemptions under the DCMA Act for, like, 
they call it jailbreaking, like, you know, jailbreaking your iPhone and, you know, jailbreaking stuff, you know, like, right. if, you, if you own the actual stuff, I mean, they can, you know, that, that's kind of the area where they can't really legally tell you what you can and can't do, even though they'd like to, and sometimes they do anyway, but, I mean, if you own the actual stuff, I mean, they can't really tell you one way or the other that you can't and can't do that. It's, it's, your, it's your hardware. Thank you for being here, Josh. Jaden writes, I just recently joined Google Plus and was thrilled to see there is no Farmville or Mafia Wars or games of any sort there. Now it turns out they're bringing games to Google Plus too. Will I have to flee the planet to escape Angry Birds? <laughs> um, Jaden, the good and bad news about Google Plus gaming is that updates won't be like Facebook where they're posted to your stream. You will have to go to a special games tab to see the posts and the high scores that your friends are boasting about. Um, but watch out because not only games are here now, but web apps are also coming. So I guess in the future you could post to Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Foursquare, and wherever else all at once. Wow, we're so connected. But the good news of that whole thing is that you don't have to see these gaming posts like you do in Farmville. They're all going to be in their own special category tab called gaming. So you can just ignore that if you want and you won't be bothered. A lot of listener questions are about the paid auction house for Diablo 3, which seems to be a pretty big issue that's being discussed right now as people are concerned it may cross over to other Blizzard games. Uh, Tunzian, can you go over this topic for for me, since you are more of the expert of the minutia of this sort of thing, and tell listeners who might not know about it what's going on with this? Okay, well, with Diablo 3, which is pretty much a game that people are, are just about willing to knife their grandmothers over to <laughs> get a uh, a beta key for it. No, there are no betas yet. Um, there's been such hype and anticipation for this game, which still, even with Diablo 2, is getting play, that um, people right now want the game released they want more information as to the character classes and all this other stuff instead blizzard recently within the past three weeks made a post about a um, offering that they want a, a sorry a service that they want to add to the game which is an auction house the auction house will be either for items that people can post for real life money with Blizzard taking a fixed percentage cut or for in-game gold. And it also allows um, players to sell their gold in sort of a controlled environment. As a side circumstance, this requires that Diablo 3 be a online, always online uh, game. The furor has been, what does this mean for larger Blizzard games. Right now, Blizzard uses a paid subscription model for World of Warcraft. It pays for, well, maybe not a fixed subscription model for their StarCraft, but you pay a higher box amount for the game when it's a Blizzard game because you know there's going to be quality with it. The fear is, is that people are going to pay for this game. It's always going to be online. But in order to compete or to have access to the best items, they're going to need to invest real money into the um, auction house. Because 
more often than not, given the choice, if you can make some real money and you know go get a coffee with it after or not um, versus real putting it in for gold, people are going to use the real money aspect. Um, there's some side things as to you know where does this money go to? Does it go into a Blizzard only account um, that you use to pay your other subscriptions to for like World of Warcraft or? Does Blizzard collect interest on your money while it's in an account? What sort of fees? But the larger thought with this, and um, Scott Johnson on the instance when I was listening to the latest episode this morning on the drive into work, sort of made an interesting point in that you know we all have our general here is the line, do not cross it in a game. Um, in this case, it's. This, the topic of gold selling or you know having a game company be so involved now with our financials beyond just here's our 15 bucks a month. The big problem is, is that this line, if it's moved subtly by Blizzard, you know, a, a, a bit here, a bit there, suddenly we're going to lose track of where that line is because we really want to either play the game or we're just going to assume that Blizzard you know, knows what they're doing. But Blizzard's never done a free-to-play model where they get their money through microtransactions. It used to be that the only thing really outside of um, in-game items for WoW was their game store. Where you could go in, you could buy the Sparkle Pony or a couple paths, but you know nothing that would really impact play. Although the card game, you could question and say that because some of the card game aspects unlock a code in game, you are technically buying a card game, you know, which is a different game than than obviously WoW. But you are having a cross contamination, if you want to say, between the collector's cards and World of Warcraft, because everyone's kind of hoping that they'll get that code so they can go to Booty Bay and get some sort of an, an item. And people often do sell the better items that are unlocked, don't you think? Very, very, very much so. I, I agree with that. There's the item, you know, where people want to get it, they want to have it. Um... In this case, if it was simply just a matter of in Diablo 3, hey, there's a Sparkle Disco pack mule that people wanted, that doesn't necessarily impact play because you can get the foam sword, you can get these items that you know people are putting up for real money. And I definitely agree with you there, but... I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm not telling you my actual opinion because I haven't really researched it enough to form one. My my question just is, I guess, gold farming is quite an issue in most MMOs. And I know in World of Warcraft especially, Blizzard has had lots of issues where we have gold farming and... You know, people are making money off of the game in an uncontrolled way, mm-hmm. and they're botting and doing other things that are affecting people that are, are actual players in the game. Yes. This yes. is sort of their way, in my mind, of clamping down and getting a cut of what's already happening. But it sort of has a, a taint to it, doesn't it? Like Almost like, you know, well, crime is prevalent, so instead of trying to actually stop the crime, we're going to become a mob boss and get a cut of the crime. It sort of has that feel about it because they're very anti-gold anti, uh, anti gold farmer. You know, now they're going to get a cut of that. It, it just seems odd to make actual money off of a game. It 
It does, but even more so with the fact that in this case, in this particular case, if you have not a lot of money but you have time, you can go and try and grind these items and try to find items in WoW. Whereas if um, you know your friend or someone who you don't know, or you know, heaven forbid, your arch nemesis from high school um, that wants to PvP against you all the time has say 50 bucks they can go buy you know a top of the line items for their level because this thing's going to be level restricted but because the haves can have more while the have-nots have to grind and take chance that sort of takes this well out of that realm of the card game where it's hey look it's novelty it's a foam sword it's a spectral little tiger toy where you sit there and you bounce while you're waiting for the next raid pull. With the flowers um, under your feet, yes. Yeah, but it, but it's 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 definitely interesting that, you know, for now they want to say that under the auspices of, oh, it's now going to be a controlled system, well, they're going to take the cut, as you said, versus stamp it out entirely because now they're going to have so much gold enter the economy potentially like if they moved this to wow and they said you know what you give us 50 bucks we'll give you 10 gold that's 10 gold that's now artificially introduced into the economy mm-hmm. auction house prices right now are based on what's available within the economy of the game so a green item could be three gold and a level 10 player could be like wow that's a lot of money the rest of us are kind of like whatever disenchant it but if there's now suddenly this artificial influx of gold where people know that there's a technically unlimited supply of gold, but with, with the economy in this case, you know, there's going to be the inflation. So those who have the, the physical money, monetary resources to stay ahead of this curve will be able to you know, do it surfing style while everyone else who doesn't have the ability to drop 60 bucks a month in for a while stuff is going to be behind the curve. And there's a lot of fear for that. Well, my question is, too, as you said, it's level appropriate. So let's say, I mean, speaking on in WoW terms, because Diablo 3 isn't released yet, let's say you get to, you know, you're 85, and you've been grinding, you know, the highest level dungeons and getting the drops that you need in gear. Is that gear going to be the equivalent of the same gear that you can buy at level 85? So, in other words, what's the incentive to actually play the game and to strive to, you know, play the content, to play it over and over until you get the gear you need, if you can literally just buy it for 20 bucks? Is there going to be, is it going to be the same level of equivalent gear, or is it going to be... It's it's going to be whatever drops and isn't quote-unquote soul-bound, um, so... Yes, somebody could get a BOE item in WoW and sell it for real money. It's going to be the same exact item. So the only incentive to actually doing this is I don't have the money. But everything's you know, so BOP you're going to do... once you like hit a certain... I mean, pretty much any, anything after like well, 75 is BOP. So is it even an issue for those who are but you know, so, higher levels? But, so, but suddenly, and we're, we're sort of talking an apples and orange game. But for WoW, you know, it's only a toggle for them to make it suddenly, you know, these drops are BOE. Because a lot of these items that you get, you know, you can get bracers out of some of these raids that are BOE that are sometimes best in slot. Or you can get a really nice weapon that may not be best in slot, but it's close enough. But 
I didn't have to go questing for it. I didn't have to do that. I can just simply go, look, I want to go raiding. Here's my 50 bucks. Here's a basic raid set. I'm as well geared out as the person who's been grinding and learning their class, but my gear score versus their gear score is equal. It's just a matter of, you know, now making sure that you don't wipe in the dungeon, but there, there's no, you can't look at it. You won't be able to look at a character anymore and go, wow, they're decked out in X, Y, Z thing. They got that themselves, or they had, you know, friends that were able to make this or this, that, and the other thing. There's no real ability to, well, let's play devil's advocate again. There are, as you said, um, certain craft-made items like bracers and, I believe, shoulders and some of the things that I have because my friends made for me because I collected the mats for them. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that different than me going and buying that item on the auction house? Because it is, you know, a BOE by non-equip item. So mm-hmm. I could, if I had, you know, five thousand gold which i've always been kind of gold poor i'm not a real farmer i'm not a real crafter so i can't afford personally to go into the auction house and pay you know the 10 g's that i would need for that throwing weapon that i'd love to have so i have my friends make what i can and otherwise i grind how is this different uh making it real money versus keeping it the way it is are they going to make a lot more items boe that aren't now or are they just saying like oh you know what you can already craft those boots this time we're just going to make it so instead of paying your 10 g's wow money you're going to pay like you know 10 bucks real money well you your time is money so you have grounded you know you you ground out that gold in diablo there's very very little amount that is soul bound there's largely um you know most of the stuff is boe but suddenly if they move this over to a wow scenario then what's to keep them from going you know some someone in marketing or some vp or the shareholders going you know what make a whole bunch more of this you know flip that toggle that says it's not soul bound to boe because we want more people to buy and you know we can get their $15 but you know more people seem to be willing to spend comfortably around $30 so you're spending 45 bucks a month and wow you know it's if there's the cash cow you know they're going they potentially could add up you know a lot more into it but as far as right now the status quo is you either have the money or your time is meant spend getting the money or getting the stuff to put in the auction house this that, and the other thing there is a tangible um risk versus reward you hear a lot especially from the everquest days with an auction house where you can just go buy something for real money it's well you know how much disposable income do you have mm-hmm. and therefore it doesn't really matter the time it doesn't really matter that you know you have done something to trade this in aside from hey, you have a job and you managed to pay rent and, um, okay, you're going to eat ramen for the next <laughs> two days because you're going to spend your 50 bucks that you know you would use on food for that. You're going to go get a, a purple. I completely agree. I think this is one of the stupidest ideas I've ever heard Blizzard come up with because one thing about these games, MMOs and everything else, is that it's supposed to be immersive enough that when you spend that 45 hours, you know, 
fighting and fighting for that item and you get that drop, it is an amazing feeling. You have that item, even though you know in your mind it's pixels, it doesn't matter. Um, It's something you've been striving for. It has meaning for you. If you suddenly make these items purchasable for, you know, 10, 20 bucks, you completely blow away that facade that this is something worth striving for and it really makes it kind of drives home the fact that this is just a stupid thing that is a pixel you know i think that's really really silly of them to take away the achievement of the point of the game for a lot of us well even if they made it you know here is a fixed economy but here's you know you if, if they just offered the ability to sell these items for gold or they handled some sort of thing you know where it wasn't a real money component i don't know necessarily if that would be any sort of a different cow so to speak but right now how they've got this going i agree you know you're either trying to maintain parity or you're just trying to have fun but you kind of can get an idea of if your fun is going to be mucked up or improved by you know somebody joining your 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 pug group with all purples and you know they've got really nice raid items you sort of expect them to be good and that this pug is you know not going to be a fail pug whereas it's more the fear now of okay well you've got someone you know jimmy got 50 bucks from his grandparents for birthday mm-hmm. he's 10 years old he just went out and bought himself you know this that and the other thing and oh my god it's gonna be a train wreck um I think there is sort of a stigma, a little bit. I mean, not that I've minded in the past, but you know, if you have a celestial steed and you're riding around on that or or whatever, people kind of look at you like, oh, you spent money on that. You know, there's a certain, like, <laughs> EP about people that, you know, have earned stuff versus those who've bought it. And I can see this turning into a real division line between, you know, players and, and definitely uh, kind of creating more of a hostile environment than some people are expecting. I, I agree. It's definitely going to take it beyond the, you know, the bitter, bitter debates over, you know, what's a welfare epic or what's a, a non-welfare epic. For some people, that's, you know, about the only chance they got to get a purple, and that's going to be really satisfying and exciting to them. To other people, they're like, "Wow, you sneezed and got an achievement, and you know, you got a god set of, you know, best in slot weapon because you." sneezed (laughs) i think it's going to create a lot of hostility as well because guild members i mean one of the awesome things about being in a guild is you know we work together as a team to do something and there are times where something drops and you know no one can use it and on on a rare occasion like the dagger i have um from um what is it black black wing depths i think it is um, that was a, a BOE, and I wasn't even on the run, but the guild was kind enough to say, you know, hey, we know you need this upgrade. We're going to put it in the guild bank for you. Get it when you log in. You know, how awesome is that? That sort of thing mm-hmm. is never going to happen anymore. If you know you can take that dagger and sell it for, like, 30 bucks cash, there's not right. going to be any more coordination, any more caring, you know, for alts or any of that sort of thing between guilds. It's going to really make a very um, meme greedy at- atmosphere, I think there there's that and there's also the the potential that you know sometimes these gear runs that we do you actually find that there are people that you don't really ever talk to in your guild because your guild may be quite large but sometimes these gear runs will actually bring a guild closer because you're kind of like wow you know what i I thought that you were kind of snippy and snobby and you know you may get crammed with them in a a group one day just 
and go like, oh god, I've got to deal with so so and so. But you find that in group, you actually work out very well together. There's a lot of you know chance for growing in terms of relationship, or there's a term of, you know, okay, maybe you're not so bad. Maybe I'd better you know kind of rethink this thing. So these gear runs bring the guild together, which then turns into the rating time of okay, well I'm looking for ten people. Well I'll take I'll take you because I know that you know you're not going to stand in the fire <laughs> on the on the ground. So you sort of get this kind of hand over hand climbing the rope towards getting this end content. A lot of us have no aspirations. Well, we'd love to be in a guild first achievement thing. But in reality, we're never going to get that, so we just kind of want to see content. But we're going to take those people that we know, that we trust, and you know, have sort of not necessarily proven themselves, but proven themselves to be worthy of attempting to mash their face into a wall, the same wall that you're doing, and be understanding about it. Versus, in some cases, like with my rogue, I'm going through and farming faction. And I'm going through what used to be top-tier dungeons for um, Outlands, and I'm soloing them easily. I'm having a blast, but I don't necessarily know if I would want that sort of ease with everybody coming in who's never been into a level 85 super heroic Ragnaros dungeon. We've all bought the gear up, so now it's a heck of a lot easier. There's no real learning curve you know, that would sort of cheapen the experience of the game. Whereas what you were talking about earlier, and I agree, going in, getting that pixel where it's like, ooh, this gives me, you know, 60 extra agility. Oh, isn't that lovely? You know, isn't this beautiful? Doesn't this look really nice? This is this is cool. You're not going to really have that. So, you know, I agree with you. I think it's a valid point that, Blizzard is very keen and has been for the last few years on trying to eliminate demarcations between people. And even though I'm all for the helpful aspect of MMOs, which is one of the reasons I really love them, because people are trying to help people to gear up and and are running them through the lower level things and, and have good attitudes, I do think that there is definitely and should be a way to look at a character and just get a general idea that, you know what, this character can handle X thing that we're about to do. They really didn't like gear score. They did everything they could to eliminate that by creating item levels and, you know, having having your item level be your new gear score. And now they're basically taking item level away because they're allowing you to buy gear so that you can't possibly judge by looking at the way a character is geared if they're actually capable as a player. I know people had lots of issues with gear score saying, you know, oh, well, you shouldn't have a minimum required gear score to get into a dungeon. It doesn't mean you know how to play, blah, 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 blah. You know, your guildmates could have geared you, all the rest of that. And yes, there are definite exceptions to that. And it's not a, a universal, you know, decider on whether you're good or not. But if you look at somebody and you say, okay, they have, you know, 350, 400, you know, item level things, whatever, you can make a judgment based on that. And I like to gear score better because I felt that it was a quicker assessment than having to actually look at each each item that a person's wearing and make an assessment based on that. I liked the overall gear score as a as a quick way to say, yes, you're a decent player. You can go into here and you'll be okay or not. Oh. Again, they've, if they do choose to go this route, they, they have to handle it as an entirely different beast than what they're going to do. Because right now it's an apples and oranges between 
the mindset of the Diablo players and the outlook of the Diablo players versus a super impacting game where, you know, you're going to be in with a couple hundred, couple thousand people on a server versus, say, in a multiplayer match on Diablo, you're going to be in a five, ten person tops sort of um, mixed game, probably less. So if, if, if they try to just simply take the Diablo model that they're looking to implement now, they're going to have you know so many issues. I don't know necessarily if there's a nice way to even start looking at the issue if they want to put it you know down into the MMO space. What do you think of the Diablo uh, always online feature that a lot of people are getting stirred up about? Um, I've had a lot of people complain about that and say, uh, particularly Rabbit, that being a college student, he doesn't always have access to a reasonable, fast connection, and that he was looking forward to buying the game, but probably won't if it's going to constantly ping back to Blizzard, you know, making sure that Battle.net is connected and that he has a valid uh, registered version. I understand the need for updates and things like that, but the constant, you know, checking of, of validation is something that people have an issue with. What do you think about that? Mm, I can see why in this case, why they're, why they're, they're doing it. But for me, when I play a game, you know, I, I put my box fee down, I play. Um, but if it's, if it's a solo game or if it's an RPG game and I have it, my normal um, modus operandi based on how I want to play the game is I will cheat the high heck. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I want to see the content, I'm I may or may not be necessarily skilled in terms of being able to you know do a lot with Twitch shooters or this and that, but I paid the money. I want to play the game. I want to see what these developers and artists and sound engineers and storyboard people, you know, everyone that is on the credits, what they've done and put together and put out in front of me, I want to be able to see from start to finish in a way that's, you know, enjoyable for me to play the game to do that. So for something like World of Warcraft, where it's an always on, you know, we're part of this thing, our character on the server, you know, that's, that's what I choose to handle as far as this game. It drives me to make sure that, you know, when I play my rogue in front of other people that I try to do my best possible job, um, you know, and not be entire, entire bowl full of noob sauce. But mm-hmm. um, if it's a solo game and it's got an offline mode, that's appealing to me. If it's an always on and I may never see past town number six, that, you know, that makes me pause and go, well, why bother paying a $70 base fee instead of, you know what, I'd rather be able to play this thing offline. I understand that my characters are, you know, are legit or not, um, are going to have no say in the online space, but for me, I'm perfectly fine being offline. But one issue that they've got with this always on DRM is it's not so much the fact that it's always online, it's the what could lurk behind it, because Ubisoft um, last year, they implemented, with a number of their titles, always on internet. 
However, they also put in a whole bunch of other DRM checking stuff that is really bad juju that threw you know, people's systems into a tizzy. If I'm playing and you want to verify that I've got a valid key and this and that, then you know, that's fine. Be upfront with it. But it's the what's coming back down the pipe. Hmm. If, I'm, if I connect, I want to get a patch. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll take the patch. But I don't want them putting something on the system where they can look outside that that box. You know, right. I don't want to. I don't want to, I don't want to have to sandbox my you know stuff beyond my browser. But if I get an inkling that suddenly you know for for WoW they use Warden, if suddenly Warden was doing other things and going, ooh, you know, you visited your bank today, you visited eBay, and wow, you spent a whole lot of time on. Um, you know, cheeseburger network or something like that. That's my information. You know, they're they're entitled to maintain their game, but they're not entitled to any other info regarding me or my habits or anything else that I do outside of the game. So having the always on means there's a lot of temptation for them to do calls or polls or programming because we can't really go in and see so much this you know, well, if we're behaving, we can't really go in and see what's all what all is going on. But you know, the nefarious person or just the other people, well, they're gonna hack it. I sort of see this as being, you know, the always on is gonna get hacked at some point in time. There'll be a crack where you can play it in, you know, your own little sandbox world and whatever sort of deal. But the average user isn't going to necessarily have that skill or have that ability to do that, or they're going to have a sense of conscience and guilt or whatever. And really, the people that the always-on is trying to block from being a bunch of goofs, they're going to still be goofs, whereas the person who's been like, well, I want to play Diablo 3, and I'm, I'm you know, going to be quote-unquote law-abiding and white hat and everything, you know, they're going to have to sit there and, and suck the always on restrictions and this and that. Whereas the people that are going to, you know, not play by the rules, aren't going to play by the rules. What's the purpose of the phishing just for marketing purposes to say that, you know, 90% of the users of Diablo three enjoy, you know, I can ask cheeseburger. Is, is that the purpose or was it more to take passwords and things that are more nefarious in nature? Well, in, in, in this day of online hacking and identity theft and stuff, you know, anything that's running on your system, you know, I'm, I'm overly paranoid about what runs even, you know, right. the background <laughs> on my, on my computer, let alone the network, let alone blah, blah, blah. It's, well, you Ubisoft, know, I, I was I questioning. Get, well, Ubi, Ubisoft was doing it for DRM, but how they were implementing their code was so buggy that it was crashing systems left and right. You know, they didn't give the option for the, okay, if you want to check my license here, check my license. You want to check my license five seconds from now? Okay, check my license. They were shoving a whole lot of other stuff down that is either, you know, flagging because of its behavior or this and that um, as being, you know, a virus or a Trojan-like behavior. It's just having it be an always-on where you can't control the spigot as to what either goes back up the pipe or down the pipe leads people to think that sometimes, well, okay, well, I've got the key to the house, you know, they want me to watch the house, I'll just watch the house. Well, okay, you know what, my wife is watching, you know, a movie at, at, at the house, I don't necessarily want to watch that, I want to go watch, 
you know, a movie of my own. Well, I've got this key. These people are out of town. I'll just go, you know, use the key and I'll use their DVD player and they'll never know I was there. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to go blah, blah, blah. You know, what's upstairs? I'm not supposed to go upstairs, but I'll go upstairs. Da, I, da, see. Da, da. I see. You know, it just, it just leaves too much room for potential abuse not to say that blizzard would do an abuse of of thing but you know you never know but i don't want someone to sit there and have keys and then presume liberties because i gave them the key in the first place i understand it i guess for the co-oping mode and the multiplayer mode but when you have the single mode on in diablo 3 i don't see the point in having the online option I, i think you should be able to turn it off when appropriate, it makes sense to me. You know, obviously, multiplayer you need to be online, uh, but single you know, player, no, I don't see it, that. It's because now that now there's now there's money involved, and you know, again, is has said, you know, where does this money go? How is this money handled? You know, but people people aren't necessarily going to ever they they don't know if they're ever going to see a check in the mail from Blizzard's. You know, here's your fifty bucks of real life cash. Thank you for having a nice day. Or if the account's going to go into you know, the money's going to go into an account that says, okay, well, here's your 50 bucks. We're now going to apply it towards your WoW fee for the next three months. <laughs> oh, and by the way, look, that $5. Look, um, well, here's a line of T-shirts for your character. You know, you can have a, a, a brilliant super purple shirt to wear under your armor of awesomeness and your three months of payment. You know, now that there's money involved, it it just kind of opens so many different doors. Agreed. Agreed. So it's to who, who can game the system, so to speak. Okay. Interesting perspective. Hey, thank you to Tinsian for that insight. That's it for listener questions at this point. Thank you to the listeners who emailed questions. I appreciate the feedback. I love listener email and really like some more feedback, bad or good, to help keep me enthused and tell me what you want to hear more of. So email me at genesegray at yahoo.com, which is also in the main site as well. Some sad news about Maphook, which I will be telling you more about later. They are no longer in any position to sponsor podcasts in the future. So myself and about five other shows are now officially laid off as of the end of August. I've begun looking for a new sponsor, so if you are one or you know of one, please let me know so I continue to bring you interviews and more episodes and afford little luxuries like, I don't know, food. (laughs) But for now, I would like to say thank you to my sponsor, Maphook. If you'd like to support the podcast, please click on their icon at genesee.com or join the Gray Area Podcast group on Maphook. You can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, please email me your questions at genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.